0: The Soccer Gambling Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks, content and contests, including our NFL Win Totals contest with a $1,000 prize. Join today at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a lead pipe locking for Parlay props. Go to ParlayPlay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus today. That's ParlayPlay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus today. You are listening to the EPL show here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter or on X at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. The Sports Gambling Podcast Network are at the. SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. And you can also follow my new Twitter account where I talk about all sports, at LockBettingX. That's at LockBettingX. The pin suite on that account will always be my PL spreadsheet from the previous month. I am a legitimate Tracked and transparent handicapper. I'm also a sensible handicapper. So you'll never see a five-star play, a 10-unit max, a 20-unit whale, a 25-unit play of the year. That seems to come out every single week for some reason. I don't do any of that. You can have a look at the type of plays that I do. My spreadsheets are available. I have delivered 122 months in a row of Transparent Track Profit. That means for over a decade, every single month, I have been undefeated. Don't just go by the ping tweet. Once the spreadsheet is done, we replace it with the next month and we move it over to lockbetting.com and you can see all of the other previous spreadsheets. I encourage you to do your research before you sign up for the service. So do your due diligence. Once you're happy, come over to lockbetting.com and it is no better time because it's futures season. Soccer futures are dropping. EPL, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, all the other European leagues and the NFL is right around the corner. I have a record of 79.8% all time for hitting futures of one unit or over. There is no better way to invest your money. So once you make the call, head over and sign up and make that money on the futures and throughout the rest of the season. So we are just a couple of days away from the start of a brand new EPL season, which begins on Friday. Now, we already dropped one future show. Part one solely looked out the outright winner market and we did dip into the top four because I did say the main thing I think that would be on the line this season would be second place and a place in the top four because I do feel that Manchester City will be too strong once again unless there is any type of complacency and one of the challenges that I identified hit the ground running, but I do think a lot of these teams are playing for second place. There is a winner without Manchester City market. There's obviously a top four market and a top six market as well, and they are all things that we will be looking at shortly. Before we do, let me let you know that you can also support the Sports Gambling Podcast by going to the Sports Gambling Podcast Patreon. Sign up for the Patreon to get access to exclusive contests, including... The NFL win totals contest with a $1,000 first prize. Besides season-long contests, they also have weekly contests just for the Patreons. Plus a monthly SGP Stories podcast completely ad-free and full of behind-the-scenes stories from SGPN. There is even a Discord channel just for Patreons. Only you can prevent corporate gambling. Do your part and sign up today head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Patreon. So let's move on to looking at the markets we just discussed. We want to have a look at the top four and we want to have a look at the top six. But before we do that, let's have a look at the winner of the league without Manchester City. Now, Obviously, this is going to run in the same order as the league winner's market, with the exception of Manchester City not being in it. So this is the Premier League winner without Manchester City. So if you assume Manchester City are going to win the league like I did on the first part, then this is essentially a market that determines who finishes second. Although, if one of these teams do win the league, then you end up winning the entire bet. So there's no dispute about it. If one of these teams win the league, they've obviously won the league without Manchester City. What's interesting, if Manchester City finish third and one of these teams finish above Manchester City, you lose the bet because somebody would have to finish above your selection, unless your selection is a team that finished first. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think if anybody finishes above Manchester City, Manchester City are going to be second. And one of the other teams who go on some kind of blistering run Combined with Manchester City's complacency, we'll end up being the champions. But let's have a look at the odds here. Arsenal are the favourites, strong favourites as well, at six to four. Liverpool are next in the market at five to two plus two fifty. Manchester United, way down here at seven to two. You got Chelsea at 15-2, Newcastle at 9-1, 25-1 on Spurs. 40 to 1 on Villa and 40 to 1 on Brighton as well. I'm going to talk about the top four and this market collectively because we're going to be making some very similar points as we talk about some of these things. The top four market sees Man City at 1 to 16, Arsenal at 1 to 3, which is crazy. They've basically got Arsenal automatically in the top four, just simply off the back that off the back of last season, where they challenged for the league, Liverpool at eight to fifteen, Man United at four to six minus one fifty, uh, Chelsea at six to four, Newcastle at thirteen to eight. So, they've got Chelsea above Newcastle. Newcastle finished in the top four last season, and Chelsea, who finished in the bottom half and have sold a bunch of players. Try and make sense of that. And in Cuckoo's injured at the start of the season. Uh, Newcastle, as I said, 13 to 8. Tottenham at 7 to 2. Villa at 7 to 1. And Brighton at 15 to 2. So, for me, as I talked about on the previous show, Arsenal are being very, very overhyped and overrated by a lot of people, and by the books this season. I do find some of their some of their signings baffling. I don't think that Declan Rice is the complete player that people are making him out to be. And if he is going to be this player that improves and can score more assists and and can deliver more assists, sorry and score more goals, he's not going to be able to do it from a deep-lying defensive midfield position, which is where he's going to have to play if Mikel Arteta has the intention of incorporating his captain Odegaard and his new signing Kai Havertz. Because if he's planning to play a false nine and looking at how Kai Havertz played at the weekend and looking how Kai Havertz has played in that role for Chelsea then Arsenal certainly aren't going to challenge for the league. They might not even finish in the top four. The player that Arsenal needed to sign was an out-and-out striker. They needed to sign a goal poacher. They needed to sign a goal scorer. They needed to sign a 20 or 25 goal a season man. Gabriel Jesus is a great player, but he's got a poor injury record. He's injured once again. It's the same knee you're already injured and... He doesn't play as an out-and-out centre-forward. He goes wide. He likes to go and drop in deep. He likes to work hard. He's a great player. He's great at holding the ball up. He's great at getting other players involved in the play. But is he greedy? Is he a poacher? Is he a Harry Kane, a Lewandowski, a Sergio Aguero, an Erling Haaland? These players that just want to do one thing, score goals. They're selfish. They're hungry to score goals. They're goal hangers. They are going to grab you those 20, 25 goals a season. Even as a United fan, we don't have that player unless Rasmus Hoyland turns out to be that player. I think it's going to be a season too early to see him become that player straight away. But at least we do have players that heavily contribute towards the goal scoring. When Bakayo Saka is likely to be your top goal scorer this season, and he actually isn't priced up as a favourite in the market, it's Gabriel Jesus who starts the season injured and wasn't the top goal scorer last season when he missed two months of the season. And I don't think he will be again. That, for me, is a problem for Arsenal. You've signed players that have confused your supporters. Are you now going to play two number eights, which means that your new signing, Declan Rice, who is going to be this improved player, is going to be sitting in as a holding midfielder. But if he plays alongside Thomas Partey, then you're going to be implementing Kai Havertz as a false nine, which doesn't work. So, Arsenal are obviously going to um, terrorise teams in the bottom half of the table at the Emirates, but they've always been able to do that. Arsenal have an incredible record of winning games at odds of under minus 200 at home. That's what Arsenal do. Whenever they are a short price favourite at the Emirates, they win those games, but they've notoriously had a poor away record and they haven't done much against teams in and around them at the top of the table. So, I believe firmly that last season was an anomaly. I believe that Arsenal caught a lot of teams in transition or having bad seasons. Tottenham were awful. Chelsea were absolutely awful. Liverpool massively underachieved. Manchester United were in transition under Eric Ten Hag, yet still managed to finish in the top four. Newcastle are transitioning under Eddie Howell. They're at the very start of their project, and they managed to get into the top four. That's how poor Chelsea, Liverpool, and Tottenham were, that they allowed Newcastle and Manchester United, teams at the beginning of their projects, to get into the top four. Those two teams are going to improve. Are Arsenal going to improve with this signing? Those two teams below, Newcastle and Manchester United, are not under the same pressure as Arsenal. Could Newcastle drop out of the top four and Eddie Howe still keep his job? I don't think so. I I think that there is an element of pressure, at least on the manager. But I don't think it's coming from the supporters. I think it will come from the owners. But that's not a guarantee. So far, they've been massively supportive. Can Manchester United drop out of the top four? No, they can't. I think that could have big consequences for Eric Ten Hag. It depends how Manchester United fare in other competitions. If they can win a trophy alongside it, if Newcastle could drop out of the top four win a trophy alongside it, perhaps the managers can keep their job. Mikel Arteta cannot drop out of the top four, he will be gone. The expectation at Arsenal is so high, not only to finish in the top four, which they think is an automatic, and so do the books, pricing them up as a one to three favourite, that he will automatically be gone. The owners have now given him everything he wanted. He's the one who wanted Havertz. He's the one who wanted Declan Rice for an astronomical amount of money. He's also got Timber as cover at the back, which I personally think is the most sensible signing that Arsenal have made this summer. They're now looking at getting David Rea in on loan, So that's going to create competition for Aaron Ramsey, which is actually going to create pressure for Aaron Ramsey, which I don't think is a good thing to have these so-called two first-choice goalkeepers competing against each other. One obviously being better with his feet, the other being the established goalkeeper at Arsenal who all the players like. So everything about Arsenal to me says confusion. And as I said on the previous show there isn't too much difference to me when you're looking at the first 11 for Manchester United, Arsenal and Liverpool. It's very, very difficult to put together combined 11s. We looked at the combined 11s of Manchester United versus, um, versus Arsenal. We also looked at the combined 11s of Arsenal and Liverpool. And I think if you look at the combined 11s of all three, You'd have players from all of the teams. If you're looking at Liverpool, you'd probably bring in Mo Salah. You'd take Alisson as your goalkeeper. And you'd take Van Dijk as an automatic. When you're looking at Manchester United, you would find room for Bruno Fernandes and Casemiro and Rafa Vran and Marcus Rashford. When you're looking at Arsenal, you would find room for Bakayo Saka. You'd probably find room to squeeze in Martin Odegaard. But you wouldn't find, in, find much room for anyone in their back line Maybe Saliba a push But again I think the backline Out of all those three teams The best two defenders Are Varane and Van Dijk And they have been for years So While Saliba Is a good And up and coming player And he did make a significant difference Arsenal when they lost him last season He isn't in the same echelon As those two players At the moment This is still a very young team And I believe they had their chance last season. I don't believe that Arsenal are going to fare any better. Whilst in contrast, Liverpool and Manchester United, if they can maintain the strong home records that they delivered last season, and they can be better away where they were abysmal last season, as we discussed on the last episode, they will move up the table. For me, the value in the top four lies in Manchester United at four to six minus 150 because I genuinely believe that we will challenge for the league and this isn't me being biased this is me just genuinely thinking that there is more value in the Man United line at four to six minus 150 than there is at Arsenal at minus 300 because we were a team who won won a trophy last season we did beat Arsenal at home and Arsenal beat us at home and in the end Our our loyalties in terms of what we were going to do in the EPL were very much split. We knew we weren't going to win the league. We were concentrating on the Europa League. We were concentrating on the EFL Cup. We were concentrating on the EFA Cup. We got to two cup finals last season because we knew we weren't going to get ourselves into the title race. Arsenal got that blistering start. We started essentially on minus six points by starting with losses at home to Brighton and away to Brentford. Our title race was over after two games. It was a miracle that we got back into the Champions League positions. Give six more points to Man United at the start of the season. And we're only eight points behind Manchester City. And if you look at that abysmal away record, and if you can add eight more points there, then suddenly Manchester United turn into title contenders. And I do believe that the new signings can make us that. With Unana giving us that extra man on the pitch because that's what he's going to be. He's going to be playing well up the field. He's going to give you a ball over the top to very, very quick attackers when you're looking at Ganacho, Anthony Rashford and Rasmus Hoyland. I don't think Sancho's got too much pace. It's going to be a very difficult season for him if Manchester United are stylistically playing that way. But Manchester United are going to be a far quicker team that push far higher up the press push far higher up the pitch and look to press a lot higher up at the pitch and win the ball a lot higher up the pitch as well. That's what Mason Mount's been signed to do. Mason Mount is in the top 2% of players who retrieve possession back in his own half. In contrast to Christian Eriksen, who is in the bottom 1%. That's why he's signed him. There's a logic to every single signing. If we've got a player like Unana, who's going to play balls over the top. We've also got ball players in Casemiro and Bruno, who also give you that out. and we have the pace to run those balls down, which in turn is going to make Manchester United a team with a lot of options and is going to make Manchester United very, very dangerous on the counter-attack. So I'm very happy with the team. I'm happy with the balance. There's a lot of pace up front. There may not be the elite finishers that other clubs have. Mo Salah is an elite Finisher who's going to get you 25 or 30 goals. Harry Kane is an elite finisher. Erling Haaland is an elite finisher. Manchester United are lacking that still as things stand. But so are Arsenal. So are Arsenal, this very much hyped up title contender who are supposed to automatically challenge for the league once again. They don't have that number nine either they don't have those 20-25 goals either in their team. In fact, out of the two teams, Marcus Rashford is the most likely player to make a 20 to 25 goal contribution and the fact that Marcus Rashford is priced up at 6 to 4 this season to be Man United's top goal scorer is a very very generous price because I don't think that Hoyland yet in his first season is going to get enough game time and he's not going to get enough chances and goals to be anywhere near 20 goals. Whereas I think Marcus is going to get very close to that mark once again and is going to start the season as the centre forward as we integrate our new player into the team, which is mostly going to be done through EFL Cup games and FA Cup games and Champions League games that are more comfortable, maybe against the team that come out of pot four. I expect Man United to probably be on in pot two, but we'll find out everything in the Champions League on August the 31st. So for me, I like Manchester United to finish in the top four, as I said, and I also like Man United at the price of seven to two to win the league without Manchester City. This is simply because I'm not a believer in Arsenal and I'm not a believer in the squad depth of Liverpool. I think that the owners have done Liverpool dirty here and Jürgen Klopp, he's the scapegoat. He's the scapegoat here because he's the one who's constantly defending these owners but quite simply... They haven't given him enough money. Liverpool have lost a load of players, an entire midfield. And yes, they've signed Slobosai and McAllister, and they're going to be decent players. But how many games can they realistically play? You're going to essentially have to give up on the Europa League. You're gonna to have to play a dead team in the Europa League every single week and almost deliberately exit the competition because you cannot play Sloboslai and McAllister in that competition. You may even not even you may not even be able to play Curtis Jones if he's established as the midfield player who plays alongside him, you're not gonna be able to play him either. I do believe that Cody Gakpo is gonna get game time in a number 10 slot. I don't think they're gonna be able to keep these five. Forwards happy. If you look at the five forwards Liverpool have, that's some serious squad depth in that position. But they seriously are lacking that squad depth in the midfield position, and even in the defensive mid in the defensive positions because ideally you want to play Trent Alexander-Arnold in the midfield now because that's where he looks so good towards the end of last season and even played there for England and looked very good as well but you don't have those options at the moment because if you do play Trent in that position then Joe Gomez is going to end up being your right back and I'm not sure they can trust him or Canate as the right back at the moment so It's not really looking great for Liverpool. I do think they'll be good enough to finish in the top four, simply because I do think they'll improve their away form. And Anfield is always going to be a fortress, whether it be in the EPL or the Champions League. But ultimately... I don't think they are going to challenge for the title and I think they're going to finish behind Manchester United once again. So the play on Manchester United is just simply that I think that they look the most balanced team to me out of the other two when you're talking about Arsenal and Liverpool. As for the rest, I think Chelsea are a mess. I think Pochettino is going to have to work a miracle here. I don't know why they are so high up in the market. It's a bit of an insult that they're higher than Newcastle because Newcastle, they just continue to build. They've had another good window without making any of those superstar signings. That's really been the model so far. They haven't made that Rubinho signing. When I say Rubinho signing, that's what uh, Manchester City did straight away. They went down that route where they tried to sign superstars. Their summer business so far, Uh, Liveramento has come in as the right back from Southampton. Chris Wood has gone out on loan. Jamal Lewis has gone out on loan. They weren't going to get any game time anyway. Harvey Barnes is coming from Leicester and Sandro Tonali is the main signing. He's come in for 64 million euros from AC Milan. So he is the big one. And that has actually allowed AC Milan to do some very big and decent business in Italy. We'll talk about that when we do the Serie A preview. So Newcastle, they continue to improve. They have lost Chris Wood. They have lost San Maximam because, um, Eddie Howe wants to keep a very small squad, but that's because he knows exactly what he's doing. He wants to keep every single player involved. And with the new signings coming in, those that have gone through the exit door, they weren't going to be involved. Let's not forget, they had players who had good seasons last year who are going to improve. I expect that Guimara is going to have another good season. I expect more from Isaac this season as well. Um, it's going to be difficult for every player to play as well as he did last season because we know that Almiron, for large parts of last season, played completely out of his skin. But Newcastle, they were very, very solid at the back. One of the best defensive teams ever of the season. Nick Pope very, very solid in goal and I expect Newcastle to be solid defensively again in Callum Wilson and in Isaac and with Harvey Barnes added to the attack. They're going to be dangerous. They're going to have the match winners there and they're going to be there or thereabouts again. I certainly think they're going to finish above Chelsea and for me, they are a very safe play to finish in the top six, although I don't personally have Them finish in it, finishing in the Champions League places. I do think Liverpool are going to eke in, and I do think Arsenal are going to be good enough to remain in the top four. But even then, I think Arsenal are too short at one to three minus 300, and therefore there is value at five to two plus 250 for me for Arsenal to finish outside the top four because it's not within the realm of possibility. That Newcastle could finish above Arsenal. Newcastle to finish in the top 6 is at 4 to 7. Tottenham to finish in the top 6 is at 11 to 8. Aside from those two teams, everybody else is very short. Chelsea 4-11, Man United 1-6, Liverpool 1-9 and Arsenal 1-16. So it's not really too worth exploring that market. If Chelsea do finish outside the top six, you would assume that Tottenham, especially if they can keep Harry Kane, will be the team. But there are other teams ready to pounce. You've got Aston Villa at 9-4 and Brighton at 9-4. I think Brighton... I think they're going to be a team who go backwards. I don't think that Brighton can repeat what they did last season, especially with players going out of the club. I also think that Brighton are going to get caught out a little bit playing the way they play, because the Zerbi ball is essentially a way to play out from the back, encourage teams to press you, and then suddenly play a more direct ball forward. Uh, That's going to get figured out. Brighton are going to concede a lot more possession in their own half, and that's going to lead to the concession of goals. So once more teams work that out, and they still, for me, don't have that out-and-out goal scorer, it'll be interesting to see if Ferguson does develop into that player. He did have an impressive end to last season, but impressive by Brighton standards. Scoring six goals in 19 games isn't going to get you into the top four. So for me, I do believe they're going to regress and there is some decent value on Aston Villa to finish above Brighton because there is a market in terms of who finishes above who. And uh, I do like Aston Villa to have a better season than Brighton. And for me, they are the outsiders to finish into the in the top six, but they would have to finish above Chelsea and they would have to finish above Tottenham. But they have done some serious business this summer there has been some significant investment by Aston Villa when you're looking at Moussa Diaby coming in for 55 million euros from Bayer Leverkusen Paul Torres a player who would fit into any squad in the top 4 I would love him at Manchester United he would be automatically on number three. He'd be a replacement for Harry Maguire. He would jump the line ahead of Victor Lindelof. If there was any kind of injury to Martinez or Varane, who's injured all the time, I'd be happy to have Paul Torres going in. And we don't even know the status of Martinez. He's back, but he had a serious injury at the end of last season. How do we know that he's not going to have some sort of relapse or some sort of issues with that. So we do need to sign another centre-back at United with Maguire likely to go to West Ham. I would prefer to have Eric Bailly over over Maguire. In fact, if Bailly's fit, he's probably ahead of Lindelof for me, but we'll see what Eric Ten Hag does. But Pau Torres would be great for United. He would get into the Liverpool team. I think he would play ahead of Matip alongside Van Dijk. So that's an incredible signing for Aston Villa, who, as I said, have done some very, very solid business. Tielemann's coming in from Leicester as well, and they could be genuine outsiders for the top six this season. Up next, we are going to move on to talking about the relegation race, and we are also going to discuss who could possibly challenge Erling Haaland for the golden boot next season. I've got a spoiler for you. Nobody, in my opinion, is going to challenge Erling Haaland for the golden boot next season. I just don't think that anybody is going to come close. Harry Kane did very, very well to score 30 goals in that Spurs team last season. But once again, I think it's Haaland's for the taking. So perhaps that market is going to be more so about who finishes in second place. But, but, but before we discuss all of that, let me tell you, we are brought to you by Parlay Play. Parlay Play is a great way to get down on your favourite Parlayed player props. Football season is right around the corner and Parlay Play will have all your favourite props. Parley Play is available in a ton of states, including California and Texas. Plus, our good friends up north, Parlay Play is available in a bunch of provinces in Canada. And when you sign up with our code, you'll get a sweet bonus to get started. Head over to Parley, Pro, Parley Play, easy for me to say, parleyplay.io and use the promo code SGP for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's Parlay Play, one word, dot IO and the promo code SGP. So, moving on with the show, as we were already almost talking about it, we'll look at the top goalscorer market next, where Erling Haaland is the strong favourite to win it once again. To be honest with you, I think there is actually value in the line. Erling Haaland is the 4-5, minus 125 favourite. This is a player who scored 36 goals last season. This is a player who was taken off a lot of the time. He was a player who was taken off just shy of hat-tricks on multiple occasions. So he could have actually scored more goals if Manchester City weren't challenging on all fronts. But that was the situation. And Erling Haaland only, and I say only, managed to finish on 36. If he can stay fit again this season, which he did a good job of staying fit last season because he managed to play 35 league games and scored 36 goals with eight assists... If he can stay as fit as he did last season, there's absolutely no reason why he can't get to 36 or past 36 this season. So for me, that is a number that isn't going to be surpassed by any of the other players. Therefore, there is value on Haaland at 45 minus 125. The rest of the market has Harry Kane at seven to one, Mo Salah eight to one, Darwin Nunez at 16 to one, Marcus Rashford at 16 to one. Alexander Isaac at 25 to 1. You have Gakpo at 28. Gabriel Jesus at 28. Nicholas Jackson, Chelsea's new signing at 28 to 1. He's going to score goals, but I don't think he's going to be the top goal scorer. Hungbing Son, 33 to 1. Ollie Watkins, at 33 to 1. Man United's new signing, Rasmus Hoyland, at 33 to 1. Bukayo Saka at 40. Callum Wilson at 40. Evan Ferguson at 40. Julian Alvarez at 40, Mitrovic at 50 to 1, I think he's moving on. Jota at 50 to 1, De Bruyne at 50 to 1, Luis Diaz 50 to 1, uh, Sterling 50 to 1, Richarlison 50 to 1, who did score a single Premier Goal, Premier League goal last season, and everybody else is 66 to 1 or bigger. Um, this is just the case of who I think finishes in second spot. And um, I think if you're looking for an interest in Goal scorers for next season, there are other ways you can get involved. If you look around and look around hard, you may be able to find a book that has top goal scorer without Haaland, much like you have um, the league without Manchester City, because that's how ridiculous it's gone. And Haaland's price to be top goal scorer is actually completely parallel with Manchester City's price to win the league. In fact, you could parlay the two things together, you can do A league winner and top goal scorer combination that's actually widely available. And obviously, the favorite in the market would be Haaland and Manchester City. And uh, that would be for good reason. That's priced up at six to five plus 120. And that makes perfect sense to me. But if you can find a market without Haaland or You can play Fantasy Premier League. That is free to join. It's free to join our mini league where you can win a signed shirt from either Phil Foden, Marcus Rashford or Sadio Mane, you can win a signed trading card signed by Harry Kane, Virgil Van Dyke, or Bruno Fernandes to finish in second. Third place gets a hundred dollar SGPN gift card, and fourth place gets any classic football tro- football shirt of their choice. All you need to do is go to the pin tweet at SGP Soccer, follow the link, and it's absolutely one hundred percent free to enter. So that could give you interest in who's scoring the goals or. You can look at the top goal scorer for each individual club. There are markets for who will be the top goal scorer for each individual club. I already spoke about Arsenal earlier. I would be fading Gabriel Jesus at a price of 6-4. to four, And I'm much more interested in Bakayo Saka at 11-4. Being their top goal scorer, I think he's just more consistent. I think Arsenal are lacking that twenty goal, goal twenty goal goal scorer, and if Saka can chip in with somewhere between twelve to fifteen goals, I believe he'll be able to be the club's top goal scorer. I already spoke about Rashford. At Manchester United, I believe he'll be the top goal scorer there. Nicholas Jackson is the favourite at Chelsea at 6-4. Behind him, you have Raheem Sterling at 2-1. Modric at 5-1. And Nkuku, with his injuries, dropped all the way down to 6-1. To I don't think Sterling is going to be a starter at the start of the season. It's a big, big downward spiral for him. And he'll need to work his way back into the Chelsea team. He's gone from being a regular Manchester City serial Premier League winners to being a substitute in a team that finished in the bottom half last season. So we're going to need to see the old Raheem Sterling again. I don't see goals from Mudrick. Um, I don't see Nkuku scoring enough goals if he's going to be out for the first 12 games, which is the rumour. And therefore, Nicholas Jackson is the automatic choice. I know I'm taking a lot of favourites in the market with Rashford and Jackson but um, they do make sense and and also Bukayo Saka Bukayo Saka sorry wasn't a favourite so that is a selection for me that makes sense, but when we get to Liverpool, again I think we're looking at the favourite in the market. We're looking at Mo Salah. This is simply going to be because of game time, because I think everybody else is going to be heavily rotated. Salah at five to six offers value. Darwin Nunes at seven to two is next in the market. It's nine to two on Gakpo. I think he's going to drop in as a midfielder. Diego Jota eight to one offers some value because. Once he gets going, he's a player who can score a hatful of goals for fun. And once he's on a streak, if he does get himself into the team, I cannot see Jurgen Klopp dropping him. Luis Diaz is at nine to one for me. He's more of a creator. Therefore, I think it is between Jota, Nunes, and Salah. And because Salah's gonna get all of that game time, I believe he is the choice. But I do believe there is an improved player in Darwin Nunes. I do believe the, the saying that coaches have. It's more difficult to get the chances than it is to, to score them. Because if you're not getting chances, that's when coaches are really worried. The fact that he's getting himself into position to take the chances means that if you're good enough, eventually it will come. And you'd have to think, Liverpool who don't really spend too much money because um, they haven't done again this season and that's really been a letdown for them. But they did spend a lot of money on this guy. And if they're spending a lot of money on a player, you'd have to think that Jurgen Klopp really, really pushed for the investment and that he sees something in this guy and um, he's going to eventually start scoring goals. So I don't know whether it will be this season. I don't know whether it will be enough to finish above Mo Salah, but I am expecting an improvement from Darwin Nunes if he gets the minute. It's, if not, if it is Diego Jota who ends up starting down the middle, then Jota's a player who can just score for fun. Once he gets a run going, he's a player that can score in eight out of ten games. So um he could be a decent long shot there. But but for me, Mo Salah is the automatic choice once again. I understand again, it's another favourite in the market, but that's just the way I think it's going to go. I think it goes without saying it's not really worth discussing either Tottenham or Manchester City. Although Harry Kane at the moment is priced up at four to six. Again, value in that price because I do think that Harry Kane is going to stay I believe that he said himself he wanted the move sorted before the start of the season, and the season starts on Saturday. We're recording this on Wednesday, and as things stand, Tottenham have not accepted Bayern Munich's final, final offer. The first final offer was on Friday, and now we're at the final, final offer that still hasn't triggered the £100 million that Daniel Levy's asking for. It's at £94 million at the moment. I'm not sure if there's going to be another offer before Saturday, but ultimately I see Kane staying at Tottenham and being the top goal scorer again. And as I see Erling Haaland as the top goal scorer in the league, it's not worth looking at him as the top goal scorer at Manchester City, where if you're interested, he is the 1-8 to minus 800 favourite to be City's top scorer. Finally, we move on to relegation. This will be the final market that we cover here on the show. And Luton Town are the favourites to go down at the price of 4 to 11. You then have Sheffield United at 4 to 6. Now, this price has actually shortened. Sheffield United were originally priced up at four to five minus one twenty-five. Then, then went to eight to eleven. That was when I told my clients at Lock Betting to jump on them because that was when it became clear that they were more interested in their finances and selling this club whilst they're still a Premier League club rather than trying to actually stay in the Premier League. Now, obviously, they'd like to do both. But this owner is looking to sell the club and to recoup as much money as he possibly can, and that is quite clear, and that is not a good formula to stay in the league. They already didn't have a good enough squad, and I think when the books priced them up at four to five, they were assuming that they were going to do business to try and stay in this league. That's not been the case at all. Signing um, Vinny Souza. Uh, Austin Trusty, uh, Benny Triore. These are not names that are going to keep you in the league, but selling Indai for 17 million to Marseille and selling Sanderberg to your rivals Burnley for 14 million, that doesn't seem like a team who are, are likely to stay in the league, which is why the price is shortened at four to six. For me, they are an automatic choice to go down. For me, they could actually finish bottom because I have a feeling that, new, uh, that Luton sorry, are going to upset some teams at Kenilworth Road. I don't think they're going to stay up, but teams are going to hate going to Luton on a cold winter's night and I do think they are going to spring some upsets and I do think Luton are going to surprise some teams and are going to fight for their place in the EPL. But ultimately... They do not have good enough players. They have not invested enough in their team either. And eventually class will tell. And I do believe that Luton will end up going down. So the bottom two in the market for me are the clear front runners to go down. And I do think they are going to be relegated from the EPL. It's just a case as to who goes down with them. Now, we have a cluster of teams here who are all priced up at the same price of five to two. It's Wolves, Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth. And I do believe that the team that will get relegated will come from them. And uh, before we talk about them, I'll talk about why I don't fancy any of the other teams below them to go down. We've got Everton at 3-1. Sean Dyche gets an entire season now and I believe that he will improve this team. I don't think Everton will be in a relegation conversation. Sean Dyche knows how to stay up. He's done it with a worse team in Burnley, Everton, despite the fact that a lot of the signings haven't worked and they've spent half a billion to get absolutely nowhere to the point where they're now restricted by financial fair play. I still believe there's enough talent there to stay up comfortably. Fulham are a team who could struggle this season without Alexander Mitrovic he wants to go to the Saudi league but they were so comfortable last season I think it would be a considerable drop off for them to go down Burnley they're going to get spanked some weeks especially against the top sides because they do try to play a elite brand of football and some weeks they are going to take some scalps but in other weeks, when they come up against the teams like Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal and especially Manchester City, they could get shellacked. And uh, that's really going to be the story of Burnley's season, but they are going to pick up enough wins to stay up. And um, despite the fact that West Ham haven't done any business yet, I do think they will. They're at 8 to 1. Crystal Palace at 6 to 1 the under Hodgson. They'll be safe. Um, the Burnley price, incidentally, was 4 to 1, and the Fulham price was 7 to 2. I didn't read those out, but uh, I don't think any of those teams are going to get sucked into it. The only team I think are overpriced. Uh, Brentford at 9-1. I don't believe that they are going to be as strong this season. I think they're really going to suffer without Ivan Toney. They've also lost their goalkeeper, David Reyes. So they haven't done significant business in this transfer window, they've mainly focused in trying to sign Brendan Johnson from Nottingham Forest. And if Nottingham Forest do lose him, that's going to be a big negative for them. But um, I think Brentford will be definitely a bottom half team next season, although nowhere near the relegation zone. So let's talk about these three teams. Uh, Bournemouth. They fired Gary O'Neill and Gary O'Neill has gone to Wolves because Lepetegui has gone. Lepetegui did not get the investment he wanted. Wolves did very little business in the summer and Lepotegui has decided to go. I think Bournemouth were very fortunate with how poor teams were last season. And I do expect them to be in the relegation race again. I still look at this Bournemouth squad. I still don't think it's of an EPL standard. And uh, the club has taken a big gamble, in my opinion, replacing Gary O'Neill, who did a fantastic job and bringing in Areola to try and emulate the style of play that Brighton are playing. Now, if he's anywhere near the Zerbi, the Bournemouth fans are going to be very, very happy. But for me, it's too big of a gamble. And I do believe that Bournemouth are going to be in and around there, despite the fact they have signed players like Cliver from Roma and Traore from Sassuolo. Uh, As for the other two teams, Nottingham Forest, they were just so bad away from home last season and so heavily reliant on their home form, that it's very, very difficult to make a case for them doing any better this season. It was a bit of a wild season overall, but I believe if they can improve on the road, it could be a decent strong showing that pushes them up to mid-table. But if they continue with that away form, then Nottingham Forest certainly could be in the relegation conversation once again. I don't think that they will be. I think it's going to be between Bournemouth and Wolves, but I certainly don't think that they are guaranteed to be as safe as the other teams when you're looking at the likes of an Everton, a Fulham, a Burnley, a Crystal Palace, or a West Ham, or even a Brentford. So the team that I think will go down out of this group of teams priced at 5 to 2 plus 250 is Wolves. They are doing all of the things that you do when you get relegated. They've let Triore go on a free. They've sold Raul Jimenez to Fulham, who I assume will be the replacement for Mitrovic. And they were already the lowest goal scorers in the EPL last season. The fact that they survived last season with the number of goals that they scored was actually a miracle. And they've done absolutely nothing in the transfer window to remedy that. So I don't see Wolves scoring much more, if any more, than the 31 goals they scored last season. They were solid defensively, only conceding 58 in the end, but they finished with a minus 27 goal difference. And normally that's a type of goal difference that gets you relegated. And the Wolves team that come into this season are worse than the team that come in to last season. They've lost Nevis to Saudi. Costa's gone. Uh, as I mentioned, Traore's gone. Cody's gone. Joel Matinho's been released. That's a lot of very, very good players. So for me, Wolves will be the team who join the newly promoted sides of Luton and Sheffield United in going down this season. But Sheffield United are my red hot tip to be the team that not only go down, but who actually finish bottom of the table this season. And it would be deserved as well, given their approach to the season. So I'm going to close out this show with two locks, because I didn't give any out on the first show. But my first lock is going to be the one we just spoke about, Sheffield United 2 go down. You missed out on the 8-11, to 11, but we'll still take the 4-6, minus 150. I still think there's value on that line. They are doing absolutely everything they shouldn't do to survive in the EPL this season. And my second lock is going to be for Erling Haaland to be the top goal scorer in the Premier League. For me, this is an automatic selection. He scored 36 goals last season, and barring an injury, I see absolutely no reason why he would not deliver a similar return, and a similar return anywhere above 30 in fact will make Erling Haaland the top goal scorer once again. He's an automatic for your fantasy teams. I believe he's been picked by over 80% of fantasy managers already. And for me, he's virtually a guarantee to finish the top goal scorer once again. So your locks here for the show are Sheffield United to be relegated. And Erling Haaland to be the top goal scorer. Now, there will be an additional lock on Bet MUFC for the EPL. The MUFC preview, the Bet MUFC preview for Manchester United's upcoming season, will be released on Saturday. Before Saturday, you are going to get the match day one episode of the EPL show. And you are also going to get a La Liga futures preview and a preview of the Women's World Cup quarterfinals. Until then, good luck of all your bets as always, and thanks for listening.